The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to David Gibbons in Discussion, our guest Vince Pace. Joining us today to talk about his work on films such as Titanic, Abyss, and the latest blockbuster by James Cameron, Avatar. Also discussing the Fusion 3D experience, developed to change the face of film and mass audience entertainment. Welcome to In Discussion. I am absolutely delighted today to join Vince Pace of Pace Technologies. Pace Technologies has been influential and pivotal in the development recently of 3D camera systems. Vince is behind the great films including Abyss, Titanic and most recently Avatar, where he has developed 3D optics and camera systems with director James Cameron. Vince, welcome. Pleased to be here, David. Vince, uh, this must be a ex- very exciting time for you. It, it is, just because, you know, we've, we've been kind of been behind the scenes for the last five years working on this project, and, and now the public is really going to get a chance to see, you know, the finished, uh, you know, project um, and, and make the decision for themselves. How is uh, this film avatar, and, and I'm going to start with this and then probably reverse back to your, your career um, uh, from the beginning, but how has avatar... Uh, developed to influence audiences in the future and and what is your feeling as to how it's going to change the entertainment world well i think you know from my perspective it's it's you know breaking yet one more glass barrier uh, in the entertainment world we saw that with sound and we saw that with color um and uh you know now we're going to start to see that um you know, for the for the public, they're going to realize that you know some of the images that they've been seeing up on the screen lacked you know the representation of what what it would really like to be there. And um, you know, we started to see that a little bit with the Gollum character and so forth, where you know that uh, the feeling of the character got um, so much more powerful. And uh, I think what you're going to see here is technology helping to complement the Avatar story by you know taking you to Pandora. And, and making you feel like you're, you're taking the journey yourself and not just watching someone else's own movies of it. What essentially is 3D doing today that it didn't do, say, 10 or 20 years ago? I, I know that it's immersing the audience in a, in a, uh, a different world, um, but the technology is so absolutely amazing now. What is it on, in human terms that you are trying to create for the audience? Well, in its fundamental form, I think what we're doing differently is is driving it through creativity as opposed to through mathematics. Uh, you know, from our perspective, two plus two might equal four in mathematics, but in from what someone sees with their own eyes and and how they uh, receive the image, that might not be as clear cut as that. And so. You know, we like to say that we're working on the subtleties of 3D, where, where a lot of the stuff that had been done in the past was really on the dimension and, and just the fact that the image was dimensional. We're trying to turn it into entertainment. 
and along those lines, what we're finding is is that it, it really is mimicking the imagination of being someplace or being with someone, and and uh, uh, that's that's very different than just the you know the basics of dimension, if you will. Well, I'd like to build upon this, as I, uh, if I may, and return back to earlier days, and and then re- return back to the present day in Avatar. Uh, I know that you, when you began, uh, or certainly uh, earlier in your career, you were working with the likes of Al Giddings. Um, what were the influences then, and how was that leading you uh, to become uh, a technology expert and innovator? Well, I think from the very beginning, uh, starting with my dad, who was building underwater housings for Al for you know films like The Deep, uh, I've kind of been led by example with individuals that um, you know led by example of building stuff and creating tools that express their vision. And uh, in the case of Al Giddings, uh, you know, very accomplished underwater cinematographer, um, you know, he, he had to build his own tools to accomplish his craft and to demonstrate to people, you know, kind of this, you know, underwater world uh, that he was able to re- represent so well. Um, you know, I've always been drawn to that. I personally uh, took up a career in underwater and, and designed equipment along those same lines of, of shooting and, and, you know, being creative using tools that I built. Um, Jim Cameron is, you know, very much akin to that as well. You know, he, he loves to, to lead by example and to build stuff and to innovate. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by individuals that have that kind of uh, cohesiveness of um, saying not only, you know, do I want to go to a, a different place, um, I'm going to find a way to get there. And uh, so uh, I, I've really enjoyed that part of my career. Well, your journey uh, moved through films like Abyss and Titanic. What are the differences uh, in those earlier films? And they're not that long ago. But if you look at Titanic now, uh, which was an absolute masterpiece, what? Uh, how do you see that the technology has advanced now when you when you've arrived at a film like Avatar? What What are the main differences? Well. I think what I've enjoyed about the relationship with Jim and working with him, even though, you know, uh, he's a tough director, he really pushes for the absolute best that you can put up on the screen. Uh, what I've always enjoyed about the relationship is is that, um, you know, his visualization of the world, be it the abyss, you know, to me, the best underwater film to date, um, you know, just so powerfully uh, represented. Uh, Titanic, you know, I, I've been on the expeditions. I've, uh, uh, you know, know the story well, but, uh, you know, the feeling of being there was crafted so well in the presentation of Titanic. Um, you know, Jim's a very... He gets the story, you know, and and you almost feel like you're joining him on that journey, um, whether it's on the deck of Titanic or it's, you know, uh, in the depths of the abyss, um, you know, but Avatar is kind of the culmination of a, a very visual director um, and um, something that, you know, breaks that fine line that you almost get to feel like you're joining him on this journey this time. You're not, he's not just representing it to you anymore. He's, he's giving you that opportunity to visit Pandora. And, you know, that's driven by technology, but it's exercised through creativity. And that's, you know, to me, it's, it's almost the perfect storm, if you will. You got the perfect director. You got technology that complements the storyline. It doesn't, you know, uh, dominate it. And uh, you've got a, a magical place that Jim dreamt about that he's able to show you. 
Now, I understand that that uh, James Cameron has been developing this story for Avatar for some some years. In fact, probably fifteen. So, is this uh, was there a crossover with Titanic? Was he or did he already have this pre-planned when he was filming Titanic? Well, those that know Jim, he's always had a list of films that he wants to do, and I, I think what's never defined is the order. And so, um, you know, I, I started to hear about it about five years ago where uh, he started to express that he felt that technology had um, come to a point that he, he felt Avatar could be done. And, and you know, I'm coming in um, uh, and, and certainly from the outside starting to hear this develop. And as I, you know, got more into the story uh, of where he wanted to go, um, you know, I realized that the levels of complexity of the film um, was was not something to... Uh, take lightly five years ago um you know it, it, it was a daunting task for him now i i obviously concentrated on one layer um and, and that's the live action production to be done in, in what we would consider good 3d um but he had so many other layers that he had to bring to the table to make that film successful and uh but uh, i was introduced to it about five years ago but also knowing jim for some time he would always talk about you know 10 potential films he wants to do in his career now as far as your your part in this and obviously fusion 3d is uh, something that's developed uh, in concert between the two of you uh, as a, a, a technology expert as a director of photography uh, in working with with James Cameron he's obviously clearly an amazing visualist he understands uh, lyrical uh, the lyrical nature of filmmaking and the storytelling uh, does that mean that as a director he uh, places the technology on you uh, so that he can concentrate on those things or or does he uh, share that that load even through the production process uh, he shares the load um, in in its creative interpretation. You know, he he is he is the first one to remind me that I've got to work really hard to be transparent to production. And uh, um, you know, there's uh, we we need to be invisible in the process of creativity. We can't be bogged down by motors and and algorithms and so forth and it, uh, it needs to be happening in the background so he's very clear on that but i must say uh, he's one of the unique individuals that i've always got to watch to see what what hat he has on is it is it the director is it the artist is it the scientist is it the you know machinist is it the engineer um, because he can he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe in any one of those departments the the fact is he doesn't have you know enough time in the day to do all of them so that's where we get to step in and, and participate on that level but there's no question that he, he can you know be as comfortable in an artistic discussion as it is in in how we're gonna you know um overcome some of the challenges technology uh, you know physics presents us as you're traveling through the production vents uh, as a director of photography but also uh, uh, taking a pivotal position with this technology what is it like for yourself you're having to have this balancing act between um being terribly analytical on the one sense in the one sense and also very visual in the other how do you work that uh, in, in balance with a director how, how how does that uh, how does that work through well it's a position I enjoy very much. It's part of my style. You know, I can I can have a, a very legitimate um, discussion with Jim as a director and an artist um, and a storyteller. 
and uh, I was fortunate enough in the building of Pace to, um, um, you know, uh, meet an individual, Patrick Campbell, who has a master's from Stanford in mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. And so what I do is I, I turn from that one bridge, which might be a discussion with Jim, and I interpret it for the engineers that need to support the effort. And so I've always played that kind of intermediate role. Uh, one, I enjoy shooting. I enjoy being creative myself. Um, but I also can interpret it along the lines of what needs to get done on a highly technical level to, uh, you know, I, I kind of consider myself an enabler, you know, uh, someone, someone is talking about the vision and I go from that conversation and, and figure out how we get there. And th- But I enjoy it. And you've arrived uh, to today with Fusion 3D. Uh, how did that develop? How did that come about? Was that through a need for an earlier film, or was that purely a need uh, from James Cameron's point of view uh, heading towards Avatar? Well, one of the things that, you know, call it fate, if you will, um, because I was in highly involved in the underwater field, we always looked at digital cameras with the longer loads and stuff to be a, um, you know, a, a, a tool for uh, underwater purposes over film. So I was always extremely well-versed on any new de- digital technology introduced to the industry. In about 10 years, Jim wanted to study that a little bit further and see how far it came along. And so he invited me on a dive trip where we would shoot some material and evaluate it. It's there that he explained to me kind of a holy grail type approach where he can shoot a film and not compromise the 2D product, but end up with a 3D representation of it that would be, you know, different for the viewer. And um, so it was 10 years ago that it was on a napkin of discussing uh, uh, how would we approach uh, kind of a methodology or system approach to uh, 3D or mimicking human vision. And, uh, and that, that's what went on then. What, what is that methodology that arrives at the decision to either uh, utilize 2D or 3D? Well, it's, it's not, we're doing both. You know what I mean? So our whole goal was to always do a product that had a, a very respectable 2D component and a complementary 3D component. So we've always taken that together. But, you know, talking about the methodology of it, I think, is, is the most important uh, part of the equation that Jim and I are both bringing to this table um, because um, what we had to discover is is not only what the tool would be is but how to shoot it so that the viewer would get a, a comfortable viewing experience and so you know it it really shaped and formed um, a, a uh, you know philosophy and methodology for getting the job done where the viewer would get immersed into the the subject matter as opposed to always being constantly confronted with the with the dimension or the technology of it. We like to say, you know, I'm doing my job if in the first two to three minutes you forget that it's in 3D um, because, you, you, you know, you've fallen into it. And once you fall into it, um, then the technology is really transparent to the whole effort, if you will. And not wishing to spend too much time on this point, but what are the uh, the specific... Uh, difficulties or issues that you have uh, between the two mediums, between shooting 3D and 2D? Well, I think just the fact that so much more knowledge is is surrounding the 2D effort. You know, 3D is a new frontier, and that means that we could take ro- uh, roads that uh, don't necessarily benefit the storyline or or help the end product. And uh, 
Um, you know, so it, it's, you know, the, the road to 2D is so well defined in, on so many levels, and 3D is such a new frontier for us that we, we you know, doing it right is, is really important and taking everything that we've, you know, gathered over the last 10 years, shooting thousands of hours of material, is what you're seeing in Avatar. It's not, you know, Jim's first attempt to to exhibit 3D product. It's, um, you know, it's a culmination of, of you know, trying this and trying that and finding that, you know, creatively this works better than something, you know, another setting in the camera system. So, um, you know, that experience level, I think, is, is highly um, represented in Avatar. And I, I know a lot of people just think that he picked up a 3D camera and shot it, but that's not the case. He, he picked up a 10 years of expertise and applied it to a subject matter. And the decision behind uh, using the Sony platform? The Sony platform uh, was was the right decision for us um, to, um, you know, uh, ten years ago when we were exploring this um, to use. It was it was the camera system that you know, uh, Cine Alta, their brand, demonstrated the most cinematic quality to the image. Um, so from our uh, position at that time, we needed partners to work with us on a component level, and and Sony was certainly a company that was willing to step up early on and support Jim's, you know, theory of doing a film in 3D, because at that point, that's all it was. And, uh, you know, companies like Fujin on Sony all stepped up to support us in that effort, because we, what we didn't want to do is reinvent the good 2D solutions. You know, we wanted to add to it and not necessarily craft a white elephant type camera system that had no real, you know, representation in the 2D world. And, and Sony was a good partner in doing that. I'm absolutely fascinated with the uh, the U2 events uh, and the racing events uh, from a production perspective. Uh, clearly, there's huge differences there. The, uh, it must be an amazing undertaking. Uh, but how do you uh, approach those that, that that are so different, uh, not only in terms of audience, but but uh, the whole perspective? How how do you go from uh, filming uh, something for Avatar to being out uh, in, in that sort of world? Well, uh, I mean, someone asked me, having been involved in the U2, um, you know, capture and uh, process, and then uh, the, also the Hannah Montana, they were both re- released relatively close to each other. And uh, someone asked me what how I felt as being involved in both products, and I said, you know, it, it was like asking a person, you know, if they like a, an Opus One bottle of wine or chewing gum. I, I enjoy them both, but, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy them in separate times. And, uh, you know, each... Each one of the, um, you know, projects has their own demographics, their own audience that we need to serve. And the 3D has to complement that. And again, you know, the, the, in the case of the U2, a fantastic band, you know, how do you bring that medium in to complement that, that band? And I, I think it was done very well. You know, they did a great job of doing that. Same thing when you're doing it with young, you know, girls that uh, are looking at an idol and stuff. How do we have fun with that and complement the subject matter? So it, it is a very creative discussion, just like what, what kind of soundtrack are you going to accompany a film with? You know, um, those choices are very important to the presentation of your product. And uh, so, too, how you interpret the 3D, um, you know, 
uh, complementary factor is is important to the discussion, whether you're dealing with a U2 or an avatar. Is, is there a different dynamic there as far as the future is concerned for audiences? I mean, when you go to one of these, these outdoor events like U2, I, I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, isn't that more, uh, doesn't that have more vitality, uh, more strength than, than producing a film where somebody's going to be sitting in a theater? Well, um, hard to say, because I was there, you know, during the U2 event, and I've, I felt extremely fortunate to have participated in the capture, but also on a personal level to be right there, you know, close to the band. And uh, it, was a, it was an amazing personal experience for me. And, and I had to think to myself at the time is, how many people get that experience? You know, is the drop-off that we go from, you have tickets to U2 in Buenos Aires, and you get to see the concert, and the next level is you see it on your TV. You know, there's got to be something in between there that allows someone to to maybe enjoy it that much more or to, you know, get a level that's close to the personal attendance, uh, if you will. So I don't think that 3D is trying to replace anything here. It's, it's really trying to kind of offer up a, another level of entertainment that uh, allows you to, you know, Perhaps if you didn't get the tickets, you get to see it in, the, in a 3D presentation that might be better than a, a 2D per presentation. And if you don't get to see both of those, you see it in the 2D on the television. So it really is just offering up a, uh, another opportunity, if you will, to um, uh, have an experience with the product. And uh, I must say, for me, um, if, if I wasn't able to attend the live performance, uh, I, I'd love to see a 3D component that gets me as close as possible to it. With that said, what are the expectations with Avatar? Uh, I mean, uh, are, there must be in a production like that some sort of scope creep where you are finding out so much more uh, about the, 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 the process uh, that uh, takes you further, increases budgets, uh, d- develops a better understanding as you're uh, working this on, on how the audience can be affected. Um, how does that all work, Vince? Well, I, I think in, in trying to understand your question, you know, from my perspective, it's the exciting part of the equation. We're, we're, we're in a new territory, and uh, I, I do think, you know, that being said, nobody's taken these, these steps through the 3D landscape, um, you know, with, with total disregard of what, what the public's interpretation is, what the financial impact is, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the amount of extra time it might take to shoot a shot in 3D. No one is ignoring that, but they're, they're also, you know, going into this with the fact that they're recognizing that the entertainment value is going up. So, so what is the price that we all pay? You know, is it, is it, uh, higher budgets, is it more time it takes and stuff? We're all working that out, and uh, I can tell you that there's a lot of smart people at the table that are figuring out how to do this both with a good financial model, but also with a good entertainment model up on the screen so people want to see more of this. So so it's kind of a nice place to be. No one's, no one's taking it lightly or, or making decisions, um, you know, just uh, w- without any, you know, strong support for that decision. The budget at the end of the day was quite extraordinary. Um, was it beyond where you had expected at the beginning? Did 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 uh, did it creep a bit? 
Yeah, I, I was there to do my job, and, and you know, uh, unfortunately, other people have to, uh, you know, face that challenge. But, you know, I think some of, some of the, you know, thoughts of this have been misrepresented. Um, you know, it, it just, I, I've seen quotations all across the board, none of them cheap, you know, but, uh, um, and, and I just, you know, in my mind, I've been there before during the Titanic days where a lot of people said, here's the new Heaven's Gate, and, and you know, I've, I've spent those journeys before, um, you know, through these productions, tell Jim, you know, we know the end of the story, so he doesn't have to bother showing us. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the, the model is going to be reviewed, it's going to be analyzed, it's going to be, uh, um, you know, um, discussed for some time. I think the final numbers are still subject to interpretation, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I think it's important that we realize what the viewers think and, and you know, what their reception to the film uh, is and and it wasn't worth it, you know. Uh, so, what about the uh, the the following months and years with this? Uh, where does three D television come into this? I, I know that Panasonic are involved with uh, James Cameron. Uh, is three D television going to be uh, an important part of our lives in the future? Uh, I, I do think that all of the things related to three D will come full circle. So as you, you know, talk about Blu-ray releases of a feature film that was done in 3D, you're going to see a, a very respectable and entertaining representation of that into the home. There's no question in my mind I'm already seeing results of that. Um, one, one thing to be very aware of in this new form of 3D um, and, uh, is, is to realize that it's, it's very scalable. It's very um, uh, acceptable to, to, you know, rush home and when the first, you know, Blu-ray copies of Avatar come out in 3D, um, to perhaps see it on a on a you know large television set and 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 still get a uh, an exciting you know uh, entertainment value out of it. So it, it's all kind of come in full circle. It's becoming a part of our norm, if you will. And I do think that one of the last hurdles are are in the home viewing, and we're already seeing you know quite a bit of traction happen in that area. And what do you see as the future of the business generally? Well, I think honestly that there's a percentage of films that are going to be done uh, in 3D. It's a little too early to know if it's uh, going to be, you know, 3% or 30% uh, out there, but I, I do think that the entertainment value is being validated by films like Avatar, and and that will grow the business into having more and more products go this direction, and people to kind of realize that um, it, it does complement the uh, storytelling, it does complement the, the visual journey that you take uh, when you see a film, and uh, and it was done well. So um, I, I think that's the landscape for the future for 3D. And just uh, reversing here a bit, I'd like to uh, look back at your your days in in the production with uh, James Cameron in particular. How is that process life changing for you, Vince? How how do, how do you see somebody like James Cameron as a director uh, working? What is it that the audience is getting from Jim Cameron, not necessarily from the film, but the psychology of this? Because if you look at a production with these sort of uh, uh, values, um, it must be extraordinarily complicated and complex. Uh, what does the, the, the human psyche, what does the human being go through as you travel through a production like this? Well, I, I think... Um 
you know, for me, it, it's been a very fortunate experience and, and one that I look back on as, uh, you know, being extremely lucky. Um, that being said, I'm always in awe. Uh, I'm in awe with a, a person who, you know, is very driven, um, yet towards a goal that, you know, when you when you accomplish it, you, you can't walk away and, and not say, boy, I, I was proud to be part of it, no matter how difficult it was, no matter, you know, how much effort you had to put into it. Um, I must say, for me personally, um, it, it's a very rewarding experience, and you can't say that towards a lot of career goals and stuff that, you know, when you see that image up on the screen and you see that, you know, uh, emotional connection and, and the results of your work, um, you know, for me, it's, it's extremely rewarding. Now, you know, taking the context, Jim is a very unique director. You know, he is, he is uh, such a talented individual. And, and so where he sets the bar, it's not like you just take a couple of steps and you're at that level. You have to give it every ounce of your professionalism, your personal uh, effort, everything to, to, to get it to where he wants it to be. And, uh, but in the end, when you get there, you're pretty proud that, that you, you reached that level. What was the uh, production time on Avatar? Production time. Um, it's hard to say because the film kind of evolved into um, you know the uh, um, into the product that it is. Because you know Jim, just as you understand him, he he leads by example. In other words, we're, we're almost starting on Avatar before Avatar starts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so uh, for me, uh, you know, it, it's it's really been about a four year journey with them um, that is concentrated on how um, what we do applies to Avatar and uh, you know but it, in in its overall context I, I'm, I'm sure production value per se was about three years I must say but interestingly enough Vince I was in conversation with Michael York the actor this morning and we were talking about what it takes for an actor or a photographer a cinema photographer director to what does it take to do something like this? I mean, it, it must be huge energy, uh, some sort of massive, uh, extraordinary human force that, that keeps one going through the pre-production, through the production of it, uh, you know, juggling all those balls. I mean, it must be an, an enormous experience to watch somebody like this go through what I'm sure has got to be a lot of pain and agony through the process. I, I think... I, I can't agree with you more. I'm in awe with their performance, and uh, I'll take it one step further. Um, you know, they're they're being subjected to even uh, more levels of creative expression in in you know um, in terms that they've never had to express themselves before. You know, whether it be performance capture, whether it be you know uh, uh, you know the the language that uh, you know Jim created for the film. It's it's just a you know, you, you think from an actor's perspective, you know, doing a film like this is challenging, and then you realize that the complexity of exactly what Jim wants to achieve is even that much more challenging. So I, I could not be in their shoes at all um, to to remain in that constant creative expression, but in totally different layers of you know, at one time he's talking physically to a character, and other times he's 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 talking to a character that's not there. And uh, how they how they pull that off and maintain that consistency is beyond. Uh, I'd much rather stick to the equipment side. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of the story structure, uh, what effect does your technology have on that? Uh, there must be a lot of twists and turns. Um, I, I I feel that it 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 
does remove any cheats, you know, if you will. The, the performance is real. Make no mistake about it. The camera system has the, the unique opportunity to extract more character, more, more emotion, more athleticism. So if, if it's a false sense of emotion or character, um, the camera system gives you more of a sense of that. So it really, you know, requires you to be at the top of your game. There's no question for me that, you know, that some of the cheats go away. But that being said, some of the benefits are increased because if you are really a good actor and, and you put on a good performance, what better way to document it than being real? You know, um, uh, so so for me, you know, on one end, it, it, it might be challenging to be better. On the other end, when you do put, do a good performance, it's enhanced by the fact it feels so much more real to the viewer. Um, you know, so I, I, I've enjoyed that part of the equation. Well, in that, are, are there a lot of presidents set here with this film? Oh, absolutely. But I don't think you could count them. You know, it's just it's it's hit so many uh, different areas. Organic filmmaker filmmaking through animation. You know, uh, a CG characters that are more organic to the eye. Um, movements of the camera that are more natural to what we expect camera. Um, you know, movements to be if we had shot them ourselves, but they were done in computer. Um, there's just so many levels that uh, I think um, Jim has brought to the table. It it's a stylistic approach that. It's the only way he thinks. You know what I mean? It has to be that way so that the viewer feels like they're they're you know seeing something as if they were there. And and so you know, uh, I, it's really impressed me how many how many contributors to this film there really are to support Jim in his effort. It's not just a 3D system. It's not just a computer scientist or computer programmer. It's all of the above, all sitting there with a you know conductor who really knows how to make the orchestra play. I suppose, though, that in a way you were guinea pigs in this, uh, given the technology and especially the actors. For the actors with the cameras themselves, is it becoming a more... Obviously, the results are startling, but does it become more laborious for the actors? You know, I I don't agree, David. I I, I don't feel that um, anybody was you know, kind of in that guinea pig mentality. I think we all knew we were breaking new ground. And as one one time Jim told me, he says, you know, Vince, when you're first doing something, there are no mistakes. And uh, I think that was the feeling. We were exploring new ground. So, you know, we were, we were able to shape it in a direction that we felt best suited our interpretation or Jim's interpretation of where it needed to go. So, you know, uh, I don't think anybody felt like it was a science experiment. I think we all felt like, you know, how, how can I contribute to this? Because it's exciting, it's different, it's new. And one thing about digital, the results are instant. You know, there's no, you know, day or two delay before you get to witness if you're headed in the right direction. You know, digital 3D has allowed us to see the the, the, the results in real time, and, and that, that's a big benefit. Uh, for those uh, people in the industry listening to this, uh, and in particular focusing on the camera systems themselves, Vince, what's the, uh, what's the setup of the cameras? How does that work? Well, the camera systems are, you know, very much two two lenses, two cameras. Um, they have a motion controller that are are driving them to, um, uh, you know, create the parallax, if you will, for 3D and and the settings for 3D. Um, but in many ways, for the cinematographer, um, the camera system can be very, you know, close to what they would expect on a 2D system. So, 
you know, part of you is really trying to deliver a, a good, strong 2D product, and then there's a layer, if you will, going on in the background that is trying to extract the best 3D uh, interpretation of that 2D effort. And so, um, you know, in some ways, it's a very complex motion controller and, and you know, double the amount of camera systems and lenses and recorders. Uh, in another way, it's, it's as small as compacted as it needs to be to almost mimic a 2D camera system for the cinematographer. So from the perspective of the cinema photographer, the, the actual chap who is operating the camera, do they, are they uh, not so concerned about the technology, but they're still free enough to think about composition, form, setting, lens length, whatever it is? Do they not have too many other worries except thinking 2D and knowing that there's going to be a 3D that comes out of it at the end of the day? Well, you know, I think they embrace it as another layer of, of what they need to deliver. Um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed working with, uh, you know, the DPs as we start to embrace other films. Um, you know, there, there's a, a real enthusiasm, if you will, to embrace it, but they put it in perspective. It's not like, let's work on the 3D first and we'll see if we have enough time for proper lighting and blocking and so forth. It's, it's more like they put it in its layer that it needs to be and they concentrate on all of the stuff that is required for the film uh, and then get to the 3D portion and, um, you know, start to command that role, if you will. Um, you know, this isn't rocket science at all. It's, it's, you know, creative interpretation of the look. And, uh, and you know, DPs are versed with doing that with meters and lightings and so forth. And uh, uh, we, we, we certainly try and make it a, um, an environment for the DP and the director that's very um, welcoming, if you will. We don't come in with the white lab jackets and, with the 3D emblem on them and saying, don't worry about the 3D, it'll be taken care of. You know, we, we actually embrace them as the, the total direction of the film and just make sure some of the technical background is serviced. And as a DP, do you have to anticipate any different conditions when it arrives at the edit stage? Um, no, I think that one of the you know benefits that we haven't talked about on the fusion methodology, if you will, is is a constant divergent theory, and and what that why we've had so much success with the with the three D that you'll be seeing on Avatar, and and you'll see it in live productions that we have done, is we keep the the three D very consistent, if you will, through the through the project. So which allows a director such as Jim to, you know, take the angle from camera B or C and cut that in with camera A very seamlessly. It's not like you're disjointed in the 3D space at all. They're very, you know, conducive to cutting um, from one camera to the other. And, and that has helped us in the live productions that most people have, have shown positive results because, you know, we, we apply the same methodology to that. So we do have a style and an algorithm that's driving the system to help, you know, uh, keep a constant, you know, think of it almost as stereo exposure. We expose the consistent amount of stereo to each shot. So when you're in the editing room, that exposure level is not changing up and down and affecting your, your viewing experience. At the shooting stage, are you able to have real-time review in the 3D? Absolutely. It's critical to the to what we consider, you know, the, the necessity of the film. Um, you know, we we want the creative contribution at the point of capture. Now, this typically, you know, in, a, in you know, I've been on many sets now, and 
you know, the, the, the director will go through all of his normal exercise in, in, you know, discussing the scene with the actor, blocking the scene out. Uh, you know, the DP will be lighting it and, and anticipating the, the movements and directions and, and talking about the camera movement. So all of those conversations will consume the early part of production just like they do in, in 2D. During the point of rehearsals, they'll start to embrace a little bit of where they're headed in a 3D and take a look at that and almost confirm, you know, the, the 3D impact, if you will. So um, I, I've seen it, you know, happen very seamlessly for production that, uh, you know, they first establish the scene, they establish the look and everything else, and then they, they look at the 3D complementary component and adjust it as necessary. Are there any situations during the filming of Avatar events where you've uh, you've arrived at a scene and it's been uh, startling in terms of uh, setting up the camera, lighting, and actually uh, converse to what you were expecting, that you had to make uh, changes? Well, uh, I'll tell you one thing that we we kind of... Uh, well, Jim discovered it early on uh, in production. Um, you know, we, we prided, prided ourselves on the fact that we were using Steadicam, uh, you know, handheld, Technocrane, Dolly. But Jim noticed on the Steadicam shots that right when the, you know, the, the Steadicam shot was getting good, you know, take, for instance, walking into the armory and then getting to the actor, um, that was when most of the 3D movement was, was occurring. And by moving the camera, we were literally changing the balance of the camera. And so Jim described it that the Steadicam shot was turning into a handheld shot at the end, just when it was getting good for him. And when we looked at the rushes, we, you know, he was right on base. You know, you would see that the Steadicam operator would grab the post because it would start to lean and make a correction and then, you know, turn it into a handheld shot. And, you know, Jim said, you know, from his perspective, that was unacceptable moving forward we had to come up with a solution so patrick campbell flew out to new zealand came up with a sled or a, a, a ballast for the steadicam that was moving in sequence with the top movement of the camera so no matter what 3d control we applied wider interocular or, or more convergence on the subject the bottom would move in the opposite direction always maintaining the same cg for the steadicam operator and we were able within, I think it was four days, to incorporate a tool that made a Steadicam 3D shot a true th- a Steadicam 3D shot. But I can tell you there was a lot of sweating going on um, at the time, um, but it was a perfect solution to something that we didn't anticipate going into the, to the shoot. It must be a continually huge education for everybody. Well, it is stressful. You know, because you don't know what angle you're going to be hit from. Um, but, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's just the course of our business. You know, filmmaking is about problem solving. And uh, and so we were, we were able to, um, you know, uh, accommodate that. And uh, so it, it's, it's something we signed up for, David. So it shouldn't surprise us if it, if it occurs during the course of the, uh, you know, execution of the film. Oh, absolutely. Been, been there and understand yeah. that. Um, as far as the future is concerned, uh, Vince, with Pace Technology, with the Fusion 3D, what, what is the next step now? Have you already uh, come to some sort of uh, uh, solution or, or, or uh, picture in your mind as to where you're going to go from here, either based on, uh, uh, on a project that, that 
Jim Cameron may be coming up with or, or, or on something that you lacked perhaps in production on Avatar that you, you have to present now as a project going forward? Well, I think we're always increasing our tool set. There's, there's no question each, each film has a different set of challenges and, and therefore is going to warrant, you know, a, a different, you know, uh, or slightly different, you know, configuration of the fusion system. I think Jim is committed to doing 3D in the future for, you know, a number of his films that he's going to participate in. I think what Avatar and this company will hope to demonstrate is, um, you know, 3D can be done well and that we can support it on a business level for multiple productions. And so what we're looking forward to is, is, is a little more of the confidence level going up and, and not being afraid of the medium, realizing that it could really, you know, help with the storytelling uh, and be used as a tool along those lines. So, you know, I, I think that the future is getting out of the gimmick world or what constitutes a 3D moment or a 3D film, and it's going into more and more of the realization that, you know, potentially 3D could be uh, a story-making tool that we want to use for our film. And so, you know, we're, we're looking forward to that happening. We recently did some ballet footage for B-Sky, and I must say it, it's, it's amazing to watch the footage on the screen because, you know, ballet is not a subject that you would come out and say, oh, that's top on the list for 3D subjects. But it is so complimentary to the talent on the screen that you, you can't, you know, help but be mesmerized by what you see. And, and that's what we're looking forward to. Could it be that 3D becomes the norm? I mean, it, it, it has the potential to. Uh, done correctly. Um, and from my perspective, absolutely. Um, you know, you don't wake up in the morning and celebrate the fact that you see in 3D. And I don't think we should, you know, have to celebrate the fact that a film represented to us is in, in 3D. We should just expect it. And, and it would become the norm for us. What about the future of, of, of broadcasting this material? I mean, obviously, there's still a strong pull for the theatre. People love to be immersed in that environment, not, not just because of the film, but because of the, the tradition behind it. And obviously, you have 3D television coming up. But surely in this this ever-expanding global community that we have here, internet streaming is going to become equally important, if not more. Is there any technology that you, you can apply to that to, to enhance internet streaming so that it can have that feel? Well, I think that um, on, on every form of technology, um, you know, the world is getting smaller in the sense that the connection uh, to it is getting greater. 3D follows that line very well. Um, you know, people, whether it's economic hardships or just from a, you know, a representation of a, a cruise ship going to Denali that they can't witness, you know, the, the, the park in, a, in its best glory. To see it in 3D gives you so much more of a connection to that. And, and if you could take that from a cruise ship to, a, a, you know, a, a national park, but take that further. What are the international implications and how far can we reach with some of these beautiful places as if we're visiting them? You know, so I, I, I honestly feel that 3D has a real um, potential for bringing, you know, some of these locations or some of these presentations, whether it's basketball uh, being, you know, broadcast internationally or it's World Cup being broadcast dimensionally, people get the sense of what it feels like to be there. And, and you know, that's a big part of the selling 
of, of these products is, is you know, um, uh, what it feels like to be there. So uh, across the board for me, 3D has a lot of potential implications uh, for bringing us closer to the subject matter. And I'm sure our listeners, uh, Vince, would like to know what your role is going forward with James Cameron as an ambassador. How, how, is, that, how is that partnership going to work? Oh, um, I think it's worked really well. You know, uh, we've, we've been trying to evangelize for some time now, and I think now um, people are starting to realize some of that product and efforts are, are hitting the screen. Um, but just like Jim, you know, started off uh, 10 years ago with me, I, I asked him a question, is, is this just for you, Jim, or is it for all of the filmmakers out there um, that want to do this? And Because uh, that was an important question for me, you know, because... Um, I didn't know if I was just serving, uh, servicing an individual requirement, or if, or if this was a revolution that he was trying to, you know, lead, if you will. And uh, and his response was very clear. He wanted every filmmaker to have the opportunity to shoot with a camera of this type. And you know, my personal need—that was his need—and my personal need was, I almost wanted to get natural history back into a representation along those lines because you know I grew up in that that arena of natural history subjects, and we've almost gotten numb to them. Oh, there's another humpback whale, or there's a dolphin, and I, I, I just envisioned this opportunity to shoot more of those subjects in 3D to make it feel like I felt when I was out there and bring that home to kids that are going to be the next scientists or, um, you know, the next filmmaker. And, and so, you know, what is the future? I'm hoping that, that that dream continues, and I hope that, you know, more filmmakers use the systems and and Jim does more films, and I'm hoping that uh, we open up new corridors of expression like natural history and and maybe encourage some you know marine biolo- biologists and scientists of the world to to you know undertake a career along those lines. Well, Vince, it has been an absolute pleasure today talking to you, and I'm sure our listeners have gained so much knowledge. Uh, by uh, listening to the way that your personal journey has worked worked out and and the the way that avatar has has uh, played a role in that uh, for our listeners uh, we we do have a blog at our official website and i 'm sure there 's going to be lots of questions for you vince and uh, we we won 't overload you but if we <laughs> it, the, the the questions that uh, that come in uh, hopefully you'll be able to respond to some uh, to some of them as as time goes by yeah i look forward to it but uh, we thank you very much and it's been a great pleasure <laughs> you're very welcome and to our listeners thank you today for joining in discussion uh, it's been a pleasure to have you as well listening we hope that you have enjoyed uh, this program if you would like to follow up on on this program or any other program just uh, keep an eye on our official website wherever you are in this world good morning good afternoon and good evening David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.